Are you just watching episode 46, The Monument Men? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And we've got a very interesting true life story to talk about in this episode. I like the fact that we're doing a true life story and not a fictional story this time because it allows us to talk to issues that are um, that faced real people mm-hmm. and uh, decisions that had to be made not only by real people in this case, but by entire governments <laughs> right? Uh, and near and dear to my heart, military commanders. That's <laughs> very interesting that um, th- this movie kind of happens around the same time as the movie The Red Tails. And I did a um, kind of a collaboration review of Red Tails in the movie 42 last last spring. So this is kind of rolling around again. Or was it the spring before? <laughs> it all runs together. It all runs it? together. But yeah, I did. It was it was great because my dad is a huge war um, war planes. He loves aviation. And, and uh, when we saw the, the trailer for Red Tails come out, we both were like, oh, we got to go see that. And uh, and it was they actually stuck really close to the story, and it and it was very interesting to be able to see that point of view on you know World War Two, and now we're doing another World War Two movie. And didn't you think that this movie was kind of done in that that old style humor kind of? I mean, the music was very upbeat. They kind of looked for the humorous, the humor yes. and things. Yeah, and- it it definitely had the uh, the. The feeling of uh, heroism and humanity to it, not the the gritty nature of like um, Saving Private Ryan right. or uh, was- any of those really serious movies. And I appreciated <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. It almost felt like an older war movie done modern, <laughs> if that makes any sense whatsoever. Because I've seen a lot of some of those really old war movies and they always... They they don't seem to dwell so much on the nitty gritty and they this one almost reminded me of Mash but without all of the comedy it was it was like that kind of approach but without all the comedy the later years of uh, the Mash series rather than the earlier years yeah <laughs> yeah yeah thinking back uh, the Great Escape had a lot more uh, levity to it uh, not uh, it wasn't it was more along the lines of levity and seriousness that I. Uh, I think Monument Men had mm-hmm. rather than Mash, but uh, yeah, they they didn't take it quite so seriously, and that helps. Yeah, that whole musical montage at the beginning where he sh- he shows enlisting all of the men for the the group and and the various funny ways that he pops in on them. It- I was glad to see they put the whole basic training bit in there because <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there's a contract somewhere that says any director that does. Basic training for the military has to do it in a musical montage. <laughs> I always like like the part where he I don't remember which character it was, but he just gets up and walks across the the scene and then oh, it says John, Yeah, that was John Goodman's character, yeah, uh, Garfield. Garfield, yeah. And he's like we just get to crawl around and they sh- while they shoot while young guys shoot blanks over our heads and he's like And then the uh the English commander responds well, yes and no. How's that? Yes, they are teenagers. And no? They're not blanks. Yeah, that was really funny. I like that. <laughs> they look at each other like, oh? Uh-oh. <laughs> now, it, um, 
despite the fact that it's pretty humorous and and it's not really a bloody and gory movie though there there are a couple people killed and and you do see blood um one of the things that really bothered me about this movie was the swearing and typically swearing. I don't notice, but for some reason in this movie, I guess it was because it was so often they were taking my Lord's name in vain. It just really stood out to me. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I'm not as sensitive to it. Uh, you know, having been in the military and served mm-hmm. with as soldiers and yeah. sailors yeah, and sailors and Marines and sailors, all of whom have mouths. Mm hmm. It's. Yeah, I guess it makes it more realistic, but at the same time, we have to mention it due to our audience that absolutely that there is definitely something there to to warn them about. Yeah, the, as uh, I would think that the age range for this movie would be much more appropriate to uh, uh, late middle school on up because it it gives a lot of great discussion points mm-hmm. for parents and kids to sit down and talk about and taking the lord's name in vain is a great one to talk about uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a good discussion for the dinner table yeah just as long as they know it's in there and it doesn't take them by surprise so yep absolutely and, and that was actually the most of it was either um taking jesus's name in vain or using God in, in the inappropriate ways. Uh, there were other words, but those were actually, I think, predominantly the, the language in, in this movie. And as always, uh, Plugged In did a great review, and they did a count of, uh, of the words situations were. just like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you'll you, be able to find that in our a link to that in our show notes. Yes, we definitely, since we don't do a full family-friendly review, we, we definitely uh, recommend that you check them out. So um going to play a little bit of the music um, just on our continuing talking about like the music montage and the comedy feel of this movie. The music was kind of lighthearted. I mean, the, the theme was lighthearted and they played it kind of more of like a military march. And it felt um, I think it was one of the things that made the movie feel like an old movie. <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, it was a, a recurring theme in the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, but it was appropriate to the subject matter, right? And so the musical score is by Alexandre Depla. We'll listen to a little bit of it here. One of the things I did look up after um, we kind of got most of our notes done was I looked up the history of the Monuments Men. And, of course, I turned to Wikipedia because it's a quick, easy source. I don't know exactly how accurate it is, but we will put a link in the show notes to the article they have about the real Monuments Men and so that you can read up on that. It was actually a bigger group of people than they show in the movie, a much bigger group of people. Well, I'm I'm glad they didn't make it that big a group of people. I had trouble keeping track of all the stars that were in this already. <laughs> yeah, it was packed full, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, was it ever? It's I mean, even right now I have to have the list of everybody up there just so I know their names. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll try and keep them straight here as we go through this. Another a, uh, another source of information for the uh Monu- Monuments Men inspiration was a um 
documentary that's available or at least was available when last I looked on Netflix called The Rape of Europa. And that actually talks quite a bit about the whole Nazi uh, uh, Nazi regime's uh, plans for uh, uh, gathering all the art together mm-hmm. and uh, talks quite a bit about Hitler's plans for uh, Linz. I think it was Linz, his hometown. Mm-hmm. And this this huge Führer museum. Yes, which they, and I thought that was a very interesting watch. Yes, which they talked about uh, quite a bit actually in this movie, the museum that he was wanting to build. So, which was why he was collecting all the art, so he'd have something to put in his museum. <laughs> he was just a frustrated artist. <laughs> I liked when they put his painting up on the when they were doing their debriefing, and they were like, "Hitler did that. That's actually pretty good." <laughs> All right, so the first thing we want to talk about, other than all of the things we just talked about, (laughs) we wanted to talk a little bit about just the the topic of redemption. Um, It was the one of the things that there's a a really powerful character um, who actually doesn't make it very far in the movie. Um, His name is Donald Jeffries, and he's a British... uh, I can't remember, is he an art collector or... They don't really say what his background in art was. Yeah, I, I don't think they ever go into his professional background. Uh, it's certainly not anywhere near as much as they do go into his uh, scandalous background. Yes. yes, it sounds like he did something really bad and it kind of destroyed everybody's view of him. And then he turned to the bottle and did a lot of drinking and and basically ruined his life and everybody's opinion of him. And this this um, opportunity to become part of the Monuments Men is his attempt, uh, well, actually his second chance at redemption, at, at being the man that people can trust and turn to. And he was he was hand chosen by uh, in the in the movie he was hand chosen by Lieutenant Stokes, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting because Stokes obviously knew the history. Mm-hmm. And felt that um, Jeffries deserved a second chance. Uh, and Hugh Bonneville did a great job playing Jeffries, too. Yes, he did. Now, the quote I'm going to play for this comes right before Jeffries' death. Um, he he does die in the movie. As I said, he doesn't make it all the way through the movie. Um, and I'm, it's a letter that he's writing to his father. Father, I know I've been a great disappointment. In defense of the indefensible, my crimes were qualities I found in the bottom of a bottle, not actions bent on hurting you. for the chance to be back on that pedestal you so proudly placed me. Perhaps here I can make you proud again, here at the foot of our Madonna. I am humbled and grateful and longing for home and rest. I'm in great need of rest. I'll write when I can. Cheers and Godspeed. Donald. Um, this is a really powerful scene. 
because we are seeing him um, go through all of this effort trying to save this um, statue in this, uh, I guess, is it a monastery or a church? I think it's a church. Yeah, it is. It is a church. Um, It was, uh, I can't remember the name of the place it was. Yeah. Um, And it was, I guess it was a statue that he had remembered from sometime in his childhood or something. And, and it had personal significance to him. And so he had gone out of his way to try and prevent the Germans from taking it. And right. The, the, uh, it was a porcelain done by Michelangelo. It was the only one to have ever left Italy. Mm, Yeah. So, um, so he actually rode a bicycle into this town that was still held by the Germans, and he gets um, trapped in the church when the Germans come to steal the statue and loses his life there. And it's it's a touching scene because he he is actually making this effort, and and because of that effort, he in a way he is redeemed. It's not it's not true redemption in the way we would picture redemption because. You know, he didn't like confess his sins and and turn right. to Christ or anything like that. But as Christians, we believe in second chances because that's what redemption and salvation is, is a second chance. That's certainly true. And it seems like I need a new second chance every day. Thank God <laughs> for God. Right. Right. One of the stories that I picked out of scripture, and I'm not going to read the whole passage here on the um on, on the podcast because it's a long one, but it's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And it, to me, that's always one of the more powerful um, accounts of, of Jesus's time among us um, is this poor woman who is caught in obvious sin and, and they're going to stone her because that's the um, penalty for adultery. And back then was to be stoned to death. And, Jesus confronts the people who are um, planning to stone her and basically makes them face their own sin and they turn away without condemning her. Mm -hmm. And because of that, she's left with no one to condemn her. And he tells her, I won't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And that is a a powerful way of reminder that we've all sinned, but at some point we have to turn our back on that sin and stop sinning. And that's our second chance is. Yeah, that's a, that's, I've, I found that that is a difficult thing for Christians to do, uh, particularly Christians who are very cognizant of their sinful nature and struggle with temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to remember that uh, when Christ died on the cross, he died not only for the sins that we had committed when we first accepted Christ into our hearts, but every sin we're going to commit right. in in our life on this planet. And that he knew every one of those. Yeah. And he, he bore every one of those when he went on the cross. That's yeah. that it, it's, it's hard to think about that, but at the same time, I th- I like the way um, Paul puts it in Romans, where he says um, that should we continue in sin, that grace will abound, and he says certainly not, because it's so easy to think, well, you know, we're we're covered in God's grace because He has paid for our sins, but that doesn't mean that we just keep sinning, <laughs> so that there's more grace, you know. 
okay, so the other story um, that comes to mind when we, we talk about, well, we actually looked it up. We were tr- curious to know when Jesus said, go and sin no more, because we figured there was more than one. And the other one we found was in John uh, 5, and it's the story of a of an invalid that was healed at, that Jesus healed at the... Um, uh, at, at the sheep gate at a pool in Bethsaida. Um, so the passage is John 5, uh, 1 through uh, 14. That the verse that we want to talk about here is, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So that that's another instance where, where Jesus gave somebody a second chance. Um, to He healed them and forgave their sin and then told them to sin no more. I think for me, the ultimate second chance in uh, the Bible is certainly in the story of uh, the the two other thieves that oh, were yeah. crucified with Christ. And in, mm-hmm. in uh, Luke chapter 23, verse, uh, uh, let's start with... Um, 39, one of the criminals who were hanged with him uh, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him and saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus said, uh, excuse me, and the thief said, Jesus, remember we remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's a guy who knows how bad he is. Mm-hmm. He knows he deserves to die for his uh for his crimes. Right. And Jesus the forgiveness of Jesus takes care of all of that in an instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's a beautiful picture. I think that's one of the ones where there's a lot of debate that goes on about when we are actually saved, whether it's at baptism or at confession. And I would say that that is proof that it's confession because he was up on a cross dying. He didn't have time to be baptized. <laughs> and and he and Jesus promised that he would be with him in paradise. So, um it's that actual act of contrition and that leads to salvation. So it's beautiful. That that whole story is really beautiful. Even though it's two people dying a horrible death, it's, it's still beautiful in that uh, there is that redemption there. It's, I've often wondered what it's going to be like when we get to heaven. Uh, I, I want to seek this, this thief out mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, sit down, have maybe a cup of heavenly coffee or something. <laughs> Chat about it all. There's lots of people I would like to see in heaven talk, well, talk to. You know what? We'll have all the time in the world right, to do it. You're right. Yeah. Now the other the other side of that whole second chances thing, I I kind of thought was interesting was that a lot of these guys that get pulled, um, at least in the movie, I don't know how true it was in real life, but at least in this movie, they're showing guys being pulled for this group that would never be enlisted in the army because they're either too old or they have or too short or have medical problems that make it where they can't you know, pass muster, all of those situations. And yet they get a chance and they're actually, you see them being excited about getting a chance to have a part in the war. It's, uh, it certainly is interesting. And it reminded me a lot of uh, 
the time right after September 11th in 2001. Um, at that point, I had only been out of the service for uh, four or five years, and I was certainly not anywhere near service shape any longer. Mm-hmm. But uh, even I had looked at, with three young kids, I had looked at uh, the possibility of going back to the service and doing the job that I was trained to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can understand uh, a little bit. Um, the, the mentality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the desire to be part of something that's so much larger. Mm-hmm. And in World War II, uh, particularly in this pre-internet existence, mm-hmm. uh, it, it must have been overwhelming to want to serve and not be able to. Right. Because not only do you not take a, not get to serve, but the only news you get is from the newsreels at the beginning of movies or the newspaper or the occasional radio program. Right. Yeah, we, this age of information really has changed the way war works, I think. Because, That's for sure. Yeah. But I was really struck because when they first had their first meeting, um, they, they're sitting around and, and the smallest guy in the group, he's like, do we get to kill anybody? <laughs> and that just kind of really shocked me that that's what they're thinking about because they're been brought together to work on the whole art thing. And at the same time, they, they're re- raring to go. They're ready to, to go fire a shot for the allies in, in this war. You know, now that I think about it, even though they had set out to at least once, at no time did they actually kill anybody did any of the characters kill anybody i don't think so is that right movie i don't think so in the movie well yeah you're right i don't think any of them really did do any kind of combat um but i that may not have been the case in real life that was just the way they did in the movie because they did say in that article that i read that a lot of them were on the front lines towards the end of the war Mm -hmm. so i can't imagine that they didn't have opportunities um to fire a shot (laughs) Yeah, and as I can imagine being on the front lines, given that Nero doctrine, mm-hmm. um, they would really want to be in a position as as uh, good a position as they could be to prevent the implementation of that. Right. Well, that leads right into probably the biggest theme in this movie, um, the one we'll probably dwell on the longest, um, is the value of art, because that's what the whole movie is based on. We have these these men that are handpicked, and, and actually women too, um, that were handpicked to go and try and protect all of these pieces of art, um, paintings and sculpture um, that were being stolen by the Nazis or being destroyed by the allies as they bombed. I think that one of the scenes they showed was them trying to protect the um the last supper, the the painting of the last supper that is so famous. Um because the bomb the allied bombers were actually destroying that town where it was. And you saw the townsfolk trying to save it. That was right at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, they were piling up the sandbags and everything. Mm-hmm. That was actually uh that scene was taken directly from the uh, documentary. Mm. Yeah. And that, that is, you know, that, that whole, uh, one of the things that really struck me was they were showing a lot of sacred art. Um, and most of it Catholic, um, from Catholics, uh, churches and cathedrals around Europe, because that's where a lot of that great art exists even to, to this day. Thanks to sure. 
the monument yeah. men. Yeah, they they put it all back <laughs> where it belonged. <laughs> um, the the first quote I'm going to play um, is right at the beginning of the movie. I'm going to try and play these in order because it, there's a progression in in the way they discuss the value of art in the movie. And this is the first one. We'll be shipping out in the next few days, and although the war is coming to an end, that doesn't make it any less dangerous. So walk carefully, take no undue chances, and remember that your lives are more important than a piece of art. That's very interesting, because right at the beginning of the movie, they're going to look and try and protect art, but at the same time, he's telling these guys that their lives are more important. They need to take care of each other. Um, that, that was the initial plan. Um, that they would protect the art, but they wouldn't do it at the cost of any of their lives. But that changes as as the movie goes on. It does. Uh, and, you know, it it almost feels like a personal decision for each and every one of them as they come to that point. Uh, the official the official briefing they start with is indeed um, your lives are more important than any piece of art. But it seems like the majority of the characters come down to a place where they have to make the decision. It is is the mission worth dying for? And I think they handled that well. Yeah. The the second time this the, these mission um the, these mission statements are being made by the character Frank Stokes, who's played by George Clooney. So you definitely recognize his voice. He's got a very um, recognizable voice. Um, but this, the second one, um, he's actually talking to them while they're testing a radio. This mission is never designed to succeed. It's, uh, if they were honest, they would tell us that. They'd tell us that with this many people dying, who cares about art? They're wrong because it's exactly what we're fighting for, for our culture and for our way of life. You can wipe out a generation of people. You can burn their homes to the ground and somehow they'll still come back. But if you destroy their achievements and their history, then it's like they never existed. It's just ash floating. That's what Hitler wants. And it's the one thing we simply can't allow. Is it true that man's achievements are measured in art and culture? What do you think? It's, I would have to say no, but uh, I was raised on the catechism. It's uh, The first question was, um, what is the chief end of man? Mm-hmm. And uh, the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And uh, that's uh, that's certainly something that that uh, we have to keep in mind here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the characters definitely uh, seem to have placed art on the wrong side of uh, <laughs> art and culture on the wrong side of that line. Yeah, it was interesting. To me, I was kind of thinking about this, um, and it. it because it's World War II, we're talking about the, the picture of of the Israelites or the Jews as a nation kind of kept coming into my mind. And we know from biblical history as well as real history that the Jewish people have been subjugated many times. And there's very many little... Many times just in one Bible book. <laughs> yeah. The book of Judges, it's like 12 times. Right. Um, very little of what they um, built 
as a civilization at their highlights, you know, like under King David and King Solomon. Um, none of that exists to this day. There's there's just nothing that we can put our hands on and say, this is um, the great art and achievement of the Israelites. Um, it's all vanished. It was all wiped away. And I think that it's amazing to me that we have a nation of people that still exist from ancient times and they still exist and embodied and they even have their own nation back. Um, but yet they, we don't really have anything from that has survived um, their many years as an, as an people um, of architecture or art, but we have them as a people. They exist as a culture. And I think that is actually the biggest refutation of what they're trying to say in this movie. The art is, you know, man's greatest achievement. And yet I think people, culture, living culture is our greatest achievement beyond it's, God. You know, I thought I thought that this uh, this observation when I saw it in your notes was uh, extremely insightful. And it made me think about um, what God might be saying specifically about the uh, the need to uh, keep him higher in priority mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know he the the Jewish people uh, the the um, the Israelites they kept messing up and <laughs> and kept getting knocked down and mm -hmm. then God would lift them back up because he had covenant with them right and uh you know, is they they would mess up and he'd lift them back up again. They'd mess up and and all this time, it's God that is lifting them up. It's not their culture. Mm -hmm. It's not you know it is a system of laws uh, or a painting or a sculpture. It's God, <laughs> literally their relationship with, with God, the Creator. Right. Yes, exactly. Right. And yet we have all of these dead civilizations. We have the um, we have the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans. We have lots of sculpture and art from their periods of, of but their cultures are dead. Their civilizations are gone. And while the art is a great reminder of what they had and what they built, they're gone. So I, I think that if you balance the value of the art to the value of the people, I think it's definitely the people are more important than than the art that yeah. that would be my take on it i mean if you I, but granted i teared up when i saw the the uh the germans um destroying that whole cavern full of that whole mine full of art you know taking uh, a blowtorch to it it just devastated me to watch that so the, they were flamethrowers yeah not blowtorches <laughs> okay big Flame difference throwers. to us uh to us you know testosterone laden males something that throws flame anyway exactly <laughs> um but that that was a, a that was a hard part for me to watch and so i kind of have to look in my heart and try and figure out okay I, in my mind and in my heart i know that people are more important than art so why do i get so emotional when i see a scene where they're destroying all of these great works of art obviously is something that hits on us in a, on some kind of an emotional level. Um, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think that uh, art, like any beauty, is a gift from God. Mm -hmm. it, it, and uh, it's the gifts that God provides in us. You know, the the gifts of the uh, the gifts of the spirit. It, even even when you look back at um, Moses's uh, creation of the. Uh, 
the temp the tabernacle. The tabernacle. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That one. Um uh God calls Moses to gather all the artists who uh who God says this is a skill I've given them. He says, mm-hmm. uh and I have filled them with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftness craftsmanship to to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And then that uh, that same thing appears later on when when uh, Solomon's building the temple, mm-hmm. and uh, the the description in um, the all the descriptions are about all this cedar. Everything is covered with cedar and beautiful carvings and tapestry. And uh, I don't think there's any doubt that beauty itself, our sense of beauty and uh, uh, what we see as beautiful is rooted firmly in creation, in the the grace of God, the the common grace of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense because we serve a God who is himself creative. I mean... He is the creator of the world and anything that in nature that we see as being beautiful. He is the author of that. <laughs> and uh, in uh, Psalms one hundred two twenty five, it says of old, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. So the very beauty of the world, the universe is God's expression of creativity. So we serve a creative God and he made us in his image. So it would make sense that we are creative and that we take pleasure in that beauty. I think it's reasonable to believe that at least a, a good portion of the art that they were trying to save uh, the original intent of the artist was to glorify God. Mm-hmm. I know that's not always going to be the case. Uh, some of it might have been to glorify the Medici's or something. <laughs> but um, and you know, seeing seeing them try to stamp out the glory of God like that, it it has that effect. It I, mm-hmm. it can tear us up. Yeah, yeah. It it, it was definitely an emotional experience. Now um, to get back to the movie. Uh, the next quote we have is also from Stokes, and he um, this is him readdressing that first thing that he told the men, that art is not worth the men's life. When we lost Donald Jeffries, we earned the right to wear the uniform. And now we've lost our second man. From the beginning, I told you that no piece of art was worth a man's life. But these last months have proved me wrong. This is our history. And it's not to be stolen or destroyed. It's to be held up and admired, as are these brave men. And now we owe it to them to finish the job. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, it's no longer for the sake of the art that they're wanting to find this art, even though he says it, he was wrong, that's supposed to be held up and admired. He's actually now thinking about the search for this art and the protection of this art, because we owe it to the men that have died. So the worth of the art is now in the blood that has been shed for it. Yeah, actually, uh, I didn't realize this till we were working on the notes, but the very first character you see in the movie is somebody who dies protecting the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, uh, a priest from, uh, France named um, uh, named Claude, 
mm-hmm. who uh, who dies protecting the Ghent altarpiece. Yeah, and and that that's kind of an interesting thing in that the worth is in the blood that's shed for it because that kind of brings us back for, to a scriptural point of view in that our worth as as Christians are in the blood that was shed for us through Christ. That's where we gain our worth is through Christ. And I just now thought of that. I think that's pretty amazing that he that we're seeing him change his perspective on whether the art is worth a man's life because men shed their blood for the art. That's where it gets its worth. It's uh, just a shame they don't seem to understand the importance of that blood uh, being shed for them. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, interesting connotation there that I'm sure they didn't put, didn't mean to put in there, but that that's really cool that that the art the war, art becomes more valuable because of the blood that's shed for it. So that's that's pretty cool. Now the the last thing I want to touch um, just on the value of art. Uh, very interesting scene near the end of the movie um, where one of the groups, one of the men with the monument men, stumble on an, a, an entire cavern full of gold bullion or gold bars and there's a quote there uh, soon after they find it where the monument men kind of discuss this amongst themselves the army may not care much about art they sure care about gold and it strikes me um that this is a matter of greed um, that people are more interested in the fact that they found gold than they found all of this amazing art and put it back where it belonged. Um, that finding that gold was was a really big deal and it made you know newsreels and all that kind of stuff. But all the generals posed behind all, it in yeah, pictures, right? You know, there's an interesting parallel there too um, between how the monument. Monuments men were looking on and and saying in that quote that the army doesn't care about art, but it sure cares about gold. Right. And uh, how we're looking on as uh, evaluating this movie through Christian critical thought. And Mm -hmm. and we're saying, hey, you know, these guys are caring so much about art. They're not caring about spiritual things. (laughs) The the glory of God that the art was meant to to Mm -hmm. to support. Right. So um, there is a parallel there. You're right. And and that's interesting because um, the kind of the next point in our notes was to talk about um, the artistic achievement um, versus God's glory in idolizing, you know, being becoming idols. Because most of the art, the the work of men's hands that you see in Scripture, I, I went looking for it because I was very interested. Even as you said, we were very interested in seeing what the Bible had to say about art. And most of the instances that talk about man-made beautiful things, it was always in reference to idols in the Old Testament. Um, in Isaiah 2, 8, it says the, their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Uh, in Psalm one thirty five fifteen, it says the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. And in um, Jeremiah, it there's a, like a, almost like a little prophecy. It talks about um, the says, does say as the Lord kind of thing. But in the middle of it, it says a tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an ax by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it, fashion it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak and they have to be carried for they cannot walk. That's in Jeremiah 10, uh, let's see two through five. I found that 
all of those references interesting because we're we're talking about people making things that then they hold up as idols. And as you just said, we, we're kind of critiquing these gentlemen and, and trying to salvage this art. But some of the the ways that they treated the art or the or the even the way the art is used, um, like in churches and stuff, is almost as an idol. It's like people come and pray to these statues and God warned us against doing that. In fact, he um, punished the Israelites over and over again for picking up idol, idols from the other nations. So it, it's something to remember when we when we appreciate art, that we keep it in the proper plane of appreciation. Yeah, it, I, I think that the, uh, the comparison here between uh, God bringing the artists together for the creation of the temple to glorify God and the... Uh, the worship of the idols who were uh, the work of uh, human hands. Right. Um, it just goes to speak to the uh, concept that it's not the art that is wrong. It's how we Approach hold it. it in priority. Right. And right. Uh, just like anything these days, just like money or the internet, uh, good heavens, um uh, you know, employment or su- success in, in employment, mm-hmm. uh, they can all be Misused. on that same level of, right. of uh, idolatry. One of the things I think is is different is when we when we hear about them putting together the temple or the tabernacle, none of the art really, um, I don't see any of the art really portraying humans. I think it's mostly um, angels and uh, just designs. I think the temple was full of a lot of pomegranates. I couldn't quite figure out whenever I read those. <laughs> it's like, why are pomegranates so big um, in the temple? Must have some kind of significance. But um, I think that that we should be careful. I'm, I'm not one of those people who says you should never create a sculpture of a person or anything like that. I know there are some sects of Christianity who hold against any kind of graven yeah. image um, or even picture um, of people. Um, and, and you can support that with scripture. Um, but it does remind us that we need to be careful not to hold up man or works of man or figures of man and put those in the place of God in importance because God is a spirit and he purposely never had anybody create images of him. Um, I think that's very obvious when you read through scripture that, even in the building of the temple, he didn't build a big statue of have him build a big statue for people to to pray to because he is a spirit and he didn't want people praying to an image of him. He wanted people to pray to him. Exactly. And so we we've got to remember that God's God set up that and we should never pray to anything other than him. So, yeah, holding a lottery ticket and going, all right, baby, you can do it. Not good. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on, I'm going to play another quote here. Um, this is one of, we're going to move into a topic that's kind of um, heart-wrenching for me. Um, talk just briefly about the human cost of World War II and the Holocaust and the, the Jews. And they deal with this very, um, very softly in this movie. It's, it's there, but it's not one of the things that's like in your face. Um, the first scene is between Granger and Claire. What is all this? People's lives. What people? Jews. 
um, that scene where they're in this warehouse full of chairs stacked on top of each other and um, tables laid out with dining, you know, dining plates and, and services and all that, just tons and tons of it. Um, and I, I think they actually recreated that from actual pictures of some of these warehouses to make it look, you know, like, like it actually did. Um, all of these possessions that were taken from the Jews. The, the extras showed some of those pictures. It it was uh, astounding, and yeah. you know it was all just it was all stuff that wasn't good enough for for the Nazis to steal, right? But they still took it away. Yeah, and and just and to put that into perspective, to think, I mean, we we hear the numbers that are rattled off of how many Jews were killed in World War Two uh, in the Holocaust, but sometimes they're just numbers. It's really hard to picture um, what that actually meant how many people actually lost their lives but when you see these warehouses piled up with all their personal possessions it kind of i guess just gives you a another perspective another way of putting that number into actuality in your mind Um, it makes it it makes it human lives yes and the other scene that did that to me um was um when they started uncovering the hiding places of the art, they they stumble upon these two big um, barrels, and they're they're like picking up the stuff in the barrels, trying to figure out what it is. And there's this quote: "Is that gold?" It's from teeth. Oh, is that gold? Is it's from teeth. Um, yeah, that one gave me when I first watched Monuments Men when it first came out. I I was like, "What? <laughs> Two big barrels full of fillings from teeth, gold fillings from teeth." Can you even picture in your mind how many people had to die to fill those barrels up? Uh, I mean, that just uh, that just breaks my heart. And we're in this movie, we're talking about the cost for art, but just to to remember the cost in lives. And not all of them were Jews. I mean, a lot of Christians went to the death camps and uh, a lot of um, other people that that um, any anyone that the Nazis (laughs) didn't like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who didn't meet the Aryan definition. Right. It it was predominantly Jews, but there were a lot of other people, too. it kind of reminded me, um, just kind of to, to remember this. I, I had just been reading through Ezekiel um, recently, and so some of the passages really stood out to me. These are promises um, to uh, the the Israelite people. Um, this one's Ezekiel eleven sixteen through seventeen says, therefore. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations and though I scattered them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. And we know that after World War II, um, the Israelites were given back the land of Israel and that's... It's in the news a lot right now. <laughs> yeah, but... as a matter of fact, the, the day we're doing this recording is the uh, the vote for prime minister of Israel, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I think yeah that there's a, a big election going on there. Yeah, um, the other one is, and 
This is from Ezekiel twelve fifteen through 16. So it's the next chapter over. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go and may know that I am the Lord. So uh, he's, he says he'll have a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence. So in a way, um, though I kind of hate to think of it in this since what the Nazis did was the hand of God of judge on judgment on the Jewish people still um, for whatever they had been doing that had caused him to scatter them, you know, the idolatry and, and the wickedness that they were pursuing. Uh, he scattered them and the, what happened in Nazi Germany and, and, uh, well, you know, the, the Holocaust, it was terrible. And I'm in no way saying that I, I condone what Hitler did, but in a way it appears from looking at scripture that God was going to allow a few of those, a remnant to, escape from that and that it was part of his judgment on them so it's yeah it's important to remember that right. uh, god is in that, control <laughs> yeah it's and it's the verse that uh that gives me it's a verse it's my go-to verse romans mm-hmm. eight twenty eight. right uh, and we know that for those uh who love god all things work together, together for, for good, good mm-hmm. and for those who are called according to his purpose. And that's sometimes very difficult. Um, <laughs> it means that there there can be hardship. And just because they're hardship doesn't mean that God's out of control of the situation, that sometimes he sometimes he works through it, um, that he, he brings that about um, to make us better in our faith. And um, but it, it is a tremendous a, tremendous cost in lives. One of the things that really shocked me, you probably haven't seen it, but Ray Comfort did a little 30 minute movie called the 180 movie in which he, he takes a, a point of asking people on the street um, whether they know who Adolf Hitler was and what Adolf Hitler did. And it really shocked me in this movie um, how few people he asked even could tell him who Adolf Hitler was. And that was a shock to me in our generation today. I mean, he just, he filmed that movie maybe five years ago. Um, how many people have forgotten the lessons that we needed to learn from World War II? That, uh, that movie is available online, and, and uh, I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes right. for it. Yes, I, I highly encourage it. It's, it's hard to watch because he shows actual pictures of the Holocaust in the movie. So there is graphic content, so I will warn you about that. But it is so worth watching because of uh, Ray Comfort himself is a Christian Jew, and it's personal to him um, to have you know, people be able to, to understand, um, the lessons that we needed to learn from World War II. Yeah. Um, one last little thing in this movie, and then I think we're done. Okay. I'm going to actually play two, um, quick little quotes in succession here, and we'll tie them together afterwards. Are you a good husband? I like to think so. Paris at night finds a lot of good husbands out well, it's war. It's Paris. That's a go. You could stay. It's Paris. Oh, so they're in Paris. 
It's the and it's wartime. That's that's a perfect excuse, isn't it? Ooh la la. <laughs> Ooh la la. <laughs> Who doesn't mess around in Paris when they're in war? Yeah, yeah. The 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 temptation was definitely there, and I have to hold it to Granger, who had a wife and what was it? Two kids, two young kids at home. Yeah, two kids. Yeah, um, he held it together. <laughs> Yeah, and he did it. There was definitely chemistry between the characters. There's, yeah. there's no doubt. And I was first time I watched this. I was sure he was going to fall. Yeah, and I'm so glad he didn't. <laughs> yeah, that that just um, that that kind of made me feel better because after doing the Red Tails movie, I don't have you seen Red Tails? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It's on. It, it's in my list of uh, of stuff to watch. And I don't want to listen to the review yet either <laughs> okay. until after I see the movie. Well, there's one thing I talk about in the review, and I won't ruin the movie for you, but there's one of the characters in Red Tails who has an adulterous affair um, in Italy. And that was one of the things that most bothered me about that movie um, was the affair that was going on, you know, for a good bit of the movie. And to have this movie, which is a similar time frame, similar history, um, where this this man is faced with this temptation and he turns his back on it, it it just it made me feel so good. <laughs> yeah, it's it was uh, it was the feel good moment of the movie that didn't involve art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, um, talking about temptation, one of my favorite passages about that comes from James one. Uh, it's twelve through fifteen. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Um this kind of just puts us through the stages of how temptation turns into sin. And I'm just, you know, what it's wonderful that Granger, you know, he was presented with the temptation. Um, he obviously desired this woman because you see, like you said, the chemistry between them and he turns his back on her. Yeah. It's the one that uh, this made me think of was first Timothy six, uh, six eleven, uh, and, Paul's giving instruction to uh, to this great guy named Timothy because everybody with the name Timothy is great. <laughs> um, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Mm. And that is definitely what Granger did here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just made me feel so warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and you know what? He he was still friendly with her. I, I love the scene at the end where he returns the tie. Um, with oh, the yeah. Art. Um, it, it was a message back to her, you know, that, he, that he, was, he was returning to her the things that were important to her. And um, I think that th they could probably have been friends the rest of their life, but there was nothing sexual about that relationship and praise God. <laughs> what movie was it where they argued that men and women can never be friends? Was that Harry met Sally? I don't know. I think it was. <laughs> I think they can be personally. <laughs> yep. I agree. <laughs> well, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in the movie before we close up this discussion? 
No, this uh, I I'm glad we uh, took the step away from uh, from science fiction here and, and <laughs> dove into real life. Yes, yes. Uh, even though science fiction is you know my wheelhouse. Oh yeah, it's so easy to discuss science fiction because the themes are really obvious. Sometimes with these um, dramas, you have to dig a little deeper to find things to talk about. But there was particularly when you get into real stories. <laughs> yeah, but you know this this was a great movie, and I. I'm glad that I got a chance to see it. I remember seeing um, the previews for it in the theater, thinking that was a movie that I would enjoy seeing, and I did enjoy it. And I'm uh, glad that we were able to pull it out and discuss it. Yeah, it, this this one is a really good one to uh, exercise some some critical thought on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if um, any of you have any uh, thoughts or uh, feelings about this movie that you would like to share with us or some scripture that perhaps we didn't touch on that on some of these issues that feel free to share them in the show notes. The show notes will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 46. And you can also um, come and sub- well, when, while you're at the website, go ahead and subscribe <laughs> to the podcast. So you'll make sure you'll get every new episode. We are attempting. We're, so far, we're on track to get one out a month. So woohoo! Um, and then also make sure that you come to our Facebook page and like us there because I think that the both of us were, are going to be attempting to um, post more things on Facebook to try and keep conversations going. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to interacting with uh, with, with our folks listeners. Who come and post. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we we just really love to have that one on one interaction with with you folks because uh, otherwise it's just the two of us talking in separate rooms on different corners <laughs> of the country. So. We talk all the time. <laughs> We'd love to hear your thoughts. So um, do make sure that you like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, and you can also call us with feedback at 903-231-2221 and leave us voicemail. You can email us at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. And audio files are very welcome. If you give us an audio file of feedback, we will play it on the show. Well, even if we get a lot of it, we'll do a feedback show. <laughs> So, that would be neat. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Um, uh, so please, we'd love to to hear your feedback in your voice. And if you want to discuss any of the movies that we've done uh, in the past, you can call us and, and leave us your thoughts as a voicemail um, or record it yourself and send it to us. And we'll you know compile them all into one big vo- uh, feedback episode, which would be wonderful. Um, you can follow me at uh, on Twitter at... Eve Franklin, and I believe you're on Twitter as well, Tim. I am indeed. You can follow me at R E N C H E P L E, which I pronounce totally apropos as Renchepley. <laughs> Sounds very French. Yes. <laughs> and be sure, of course, to check out uh, the other podcasts on our on the Noodle Mix Network because there are quite a it's a, a growing number of of really great um, podcasts. I can't even keep up with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, we've wrapped up another show. I really, really thank everybody for tuning in and listening to this one. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And please come back. We couldn't do this without you. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, 
visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.